good morning, Sunrise, again. My name is Greg Peterson. I'm the Youth and Children's Director here at Sunrise, in case you haven't met me before. Nice to meet you. Um, before we get started, uh, there's a couple things that we want to do. Uh, first, I want to uh, personally thank you guys so much for your generosity. Uh, last week, we did our dessert auction and uh, you guys just always uh, blow me away. Every year, I always say in the morning time, I'm like, no one's going to show up. No, there's not going to be any desserts. There's not going to be anything there. I'm freaking out. And I'm like, just kind of constantly giving it to God. And then I talk to the youth and, you know, some of them are like, it's fine. Other of them are like, yeah, it's going to be a disaster, right? <laughs> but it was amazing. It was a fun time of hanging out. Uh, fun time of giving. You guys raised over 4000 for our youth, um, which is amazing. Thank you so much for that. And it's one of my favorite things to tell the youth. When, we, when someone's new to our youth group and we talk about this uh, auction that we do, uh, they're always blown away about the generosity of you guys. And so I just want to thank you on behalf of the youth. Uh, the next thing that I want to thank you guys for is for our Thanksgiving um, outreach that we did here at Sunrise, or some of our deacons uh, put together and led our congregation in that, and uh, they were able to feed over 125 meals uh, to people who uh, weren't going to have that. So uh, good job to our deacons and everyone out who came out to that. Thank you so much for doing that. Um, now I want to dismiss our amazing children who were up front uh, to children of worship time. Uh, they can go out there. That's for ages three years old up to fifth grade. They continue to learn more about God. And I just look forward to this week of just, uh, or these weeks coming up of Advent and learning from our kids a little bit more. So I uh, was proud of my son today and be proud of some of your guys' kids later on. So let's pray and then we'll jump into our message today. God, I thank you so much just for everything that you give us, for this time of thankfulness, for this celebration that we've had this last week, God, whether that was full of family members and, and, and just rejoicing with them or if that was just kind of being uh, you know, on our own. God, thank you that we truly are never on our own. God, thank you that you are always close by. You're always near to us. And God, I thank you that as we take this time to, to listen to your word, to shift our focus on uh, your birth, Jesus, and, and start heading towards that celebration of Christmas. God, I just pray that you would help us to listen into your word, to remember, to rejoice, and to be thankful. Thank you for this holiday season, God. I think that we all are just looking forward to that, and uh, God, we just thank you for this time. To your name we pray. Amen. So this Christmas season, uh, this Advent season, uh, for the next several weeks, we are going to be looking at uh, the Gospel of Matthew. And uh, so we're going to be kind of walking through Jesus' story, through that celebration of what Christmas is truly about, about Jesus' birth, uh, through the eyes of Matthew. And so for the next several weeks, that's where we'll be. And uh, the Gospel of Matthew is such an interesting gospel. Each of the four Gospels kind of have a different audience in mind. You'll notice that they kind of uh, are really specific on certain things. They're, they're really trying to highlight certain aspects of who Jesus is. And the reason they are doing that is because each one is, is focused on a certain people group that they're trying to reach. They all have a different reason and intention behind writing their gospel. And so for Matthew, one of his main focus is the Jewish community. He wants to help his fellow Israelites, the, the Jewish community, to understand who Jesus is, that he was, 
is the Messiah, that he was the one that they had been waiting for for generations after generations. So what you'll see him do a lot as you read through his gospel is that he's going to refer back to the Old Testament several times. He's going to pull promises out from, uh, from the Old Testament, and he's trying to highlight to the Israelite community that Jesus is the Messiah. He's fulfilling all these promises that God had made beforehand. And uh, I do want to uh, kind of just take a moment, the, that, that term Old Testament, um, you're going to hear it also referred to as the Hebrew Bible, or some scholars call it the First Testament. It's all the same book. Uh, it's all the same uh, first uh, two-thirds of your Bible. Um, and so uh, Matthew is referring to that because they didn't have the New Testament that we have today uh, because he was writing it. And so he couldn't refer to each other. So they're referring to uh, the scriptures that they had, which was the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, the First Testament. Uh, I might sometimes call it the First Testament because I had a professor who forced me to um, write it that way, the, the First Testament. And that, the idea behind that is that, you know, sometimes we think Old Testament, old, you know, throw it out. We don't need that. But the Old Testament has a lot to say to us today. It's not something that we should ignore. It's the same God from Genesis all the way to Revelations, all the way from the very beginning of the book of the Bible to the end. It's the same God. He's slowly just revealing more of who he is. So the Old Testament has things to speak to us today. So it's not that we just stick to the New Testament. We read the Old Testament and we have things to learn from it. In fact, we're going to be learning a lot from it today. Uh, and so it's important for us to grab the hold of that, to understand that's why it, it's important. So he had us always write our papers and say First Testament. So it just slips out. So I just want to kind of clarify if you hear me say First Testament, that's what I mean. It's the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, all the same thing. Um, so uh, Matthew's going to be pulling a lot from the Old Testament. And he wants his readers to understand that Jesus is fulfilling every promise that God had made to them beforehand. And so that's why in Matthew chapter 1, you'll see a long genealogy. Um, it's about uh, 15 verses of just names. And we're going to read through some of those names. Uh, Lord, help me with that. Um, and, and so, uh, but the first name that you'll notice there is Abraham. And uh, he's kind of the pillar. He's the kind of the starting point of where we see God kind of starting his work with these people, this people group that will be called his people. And so Abraham is the guy. And Abraham, just a little bit about his story, his first, he first starts with his name being Abram until God later changes it to Abraham. And uh, through his story, God calls him to trust him. That Abram is supposed to trust God and that he is going to lead him to the promised land, to a land that he's going to be given. And he has all these, these great promises for him. And, and what's interesting is Abram doesn't really have a big uh, connection with God before this. It's not like he grew up going to the temple or any of those things. Those things don't exist at this point. It's the very beginning of the story. So there's no temple. There's no like organized religion. There's none of that stuff. It's just Abram, he gets spoken to to God, uh, and he's just like, cool, I'll trust you, and so he follows him. And so he, he, he moves his family, moves his wife, and they goes to follow where God is leading him. And because of that, God blesses him. And so we're going to be in Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. And this is the, the promise, the blessing that God gives to Abraham at first. It says, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will, be blessed, you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and, I, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all people on earth will be blessed through you. 
So these are the promises that Abraham gets at the very beginning. And so the promises are to be to a great kingdom, your name will be great, uh, that God will be the one who rewards or seeks vengeance on anyone that you interact with, and uh, that uh, you will be a blessing to everyone on earth. So those are the four things that kind of he gets promised. And what's interesting is throughout Abram's life, uh, he, he doesn't see the fulfillment of all these things. I mean, he has a blessed life. He, he's, he's very wealthy. Uh, he's a very powerful man. He's no king. He, wasn't, he doesn't have a kingship, but he is a very powerful guy. And so he has all this stuff, but he has one major problem that keeps haunting him through his life, and that is he has no kids. And so he is struggling with that, that he's supposed to be made into this mighty nation, but yet he has no heir. And so he, he kind of tries to force uh, God's blessing there with sleeping with his wife's slave, which is a whole other problem. Uh, doesn't turn out good, as anyone who with common sense would imagine. Uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't work. And so uh, he, he, that doesn't work. And so finally his wife in his old age does get pregnant. And he's given his son, Isaac. And this is the child that God said, all the blessings that I've been talking to you about will come through this child. And then uh, chapter 22 of Genesis comes where God then has this really strange moment where he asks Abraham to sacrifice his son to him. And so Abraham, as you can imagine, has to struggle through this moment. How can God ask this of me? I mean, imagine, not only is this your son, which that by itself is all kinds of hard and problematic, right? But not only that, this is your promised son. This is, the, this is where all the blessings, everything I've done in my life, everything I've, I've, I've imagined this to look like is wrapped up in this child that God has promised me, and I have to sacrifice him. And you see him, that he kind of goes off on a journey with his son. They go off into the mountain. He's kind of taking his time, as imagine uh, any of us would, you know, struggling through that. And he's justifying it. He's saying, you know, if this, is, if this uh, God, if, he, if I sacrifice him, he can also raise him. You know, he can maybe raise him from the dead, which is interesting because you don't see that anywhere else in the Old Testament at that moment. You know, this is Genesis at the very beginning. There's no record of that God does this. And so you just see that he's kind of justifying, how can God ask this from me? This is my promised son. This is the blessing. I have to trust God. And so he does. He trusts God all the way through to the point of laying his son on the altar and raising the knife, fully willing to sacrifice every promise. And I think one of the important things that we can identify here is that Abraham was willing to, to follow God even without the blessings. Even without any of the blessings, he still trusted God. He wasn't just in it so that he could have a blessed life. He was like, God, I trust you, even though it makes no sense. And then we get this verse in verse 12 of chapter 22. It says, uh, do not lay a hand on the boy, says God. Do, uh, don't, do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld him from uh, me your only son. Abraham then finds a ram in the bushes off to the side that the Lord had provided, and God enhances his blessing to Abraham because he didn't, he didn't hold back. He trusted God with everything, his blessing, his family, his son, everything that was important to him, he trusted God with that, those things. 
And so he enhances Abraham's blessing in verses 16 to 18. It says, I swear by myself, which personally I love that, that statement, I swear by myself, because whenever we swear something, it's always supposed to be on something higher than us. You know, I, I swear on my mom or this or that, right, is kind of the, the terminology normally here. But there's nothing higher than God, so he has to swear on himself. I don't know. I might just be Bible nerding. I'm sorry. Um, but I just thought that was kind of cool. Uh, he says, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars of the, uh, in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of, of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. So this is the, the, the enhancement of the blessing to Abraham. But what's interesting is he doesn't see that fulfillment. Abraham dies and he still only has two sons. He has the one that was legitimate and the one that he kind of tried to force, but both are his sons. That's all he sees when he talk about the descendants being as numerous as the stars or as much as the sand in the, in the, on the beach. Uh, Abraham doesn't see that fulfilled, but that blessing, that promise is given to him, and it ends up getting passed down through the generations to each generation. Isaac gets a, a very familiar blessing to him, given to him, where he's promised these kind of things. And so we can track that this promise is kind of sitting there, getting passed down, and, and we're just waiting for it to be fulfilled. And so let's, let's just read through Matthew chapter 1, verses 2 through 6, as we kind of track down uh, where these blessings are maybe going to find their fulfillment. And so it says, uh, starting in uh, verse 2, it says, Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zahar, uh, whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amemadad, Amemadad the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz, the father of Obed, uh, the mother, uh, whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. So all through this line, they've been waiting for a kingdom, for a king, for, for these promises that God has given them, and finally we get to David. Now there was a king before David, but David is kind of the one that everyone's going to look to as the king of Israel. He's the one that kind of is this amazing guy. He has a crazy story. Uh, if you ever uh, are have never, if you've never read First Samuel, I highly recommend it. Uh, it was the first book I ever read uh, when I first came to Christ, and I remember reading it and being blown away. Like. There's so much amazing action in this book, right? Like, I just didn't know because I, I didn't listen to Russ when I came to church, you know? I was a terrible teenager, all right? Um, so uh, there's just so much action in there. And so uh, David has this crazy story where he's taken from just a little shepherd boy, and all of a sudden, through this amazing work of God, he... he, he kills a, a giant, he's a mighty warrior, he, he becomes the right-hand man of the king Saul, and then ends up becoming king himself because God ordains that. And then when he is king, he's this conquering king. He takes Israel from this little wandering community, wandering the desert, to becoming uh, this amazing uh, superpower of the earth, where they are looked at and feared, and he's a mighty conquering king. And he has uh, David and his mighty men. 
which he's just like this crazy uh, action-packed story. And so he has this amazing power, and he finally ascends to this mighty place, and then God sends a prophet named Nathan to go give him a special blessing. And God gives David a lot of blessings, but this one specifically I want to highlight. It's 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 16. It says, Your house and your kingdom will uh, endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. That's a promise that David gets from God. So God makes uh, many promises, but this one stands out because it'll take generations to fulfill. Because if we follow the story, yes, uh, David's descendants for a couple generations will be kings, they'll, they'll, they'll lead Israel, but uh, as, as the story kind of continues, we'll find out that Israel gets conquered, the kingdom gets destroyed. And so Israel itself, that kingdom, must not be the kingdom that God is promising will last forever. Because it, it gets destroyed, it gets conquered, it kind of gets rebuilt, it gets conquered again, and never really gets reestablished very well. And, and Israel is still around today, obviously, but there doesn't, they're not electing their leaders based upon who's a descendant of David necessarily, right? It's not like, oh, well, you can only be this if you're a descendant of David. That's not what they do over there. And so it, it seems like there's something else happening here. And so uh, what we end up finding out is these promises kind of continue to hold there, to wait there. As we go from uh, Matthew uh, chapter 1, verses 6 through 15, which I will not read for you because I will make, not make you endure that, uh, we'll skip right down to verse 16, um, which says, Jacob, the father of Joseph, uh, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. That's the point. So what, so what Matthew is doing, he's connecting from, from Abraham, and he tracks the line all the way to Jesus. And how Jesus is going to now be the fulfillment of every promise that God has ever made to his people. Every promise and every blessing that he's given from Abraham to David to to just right down the line. Jesus will now be the person who is fulfilling those promises. And for instance, let's just take David. Uh, David's promise, uh, one of the made promises was that his kingdom would last forever. And so who is Jesus? Jesus is a king. He, he comes and he keeps talking about this, the kingdom of heaven is here and, and that he will rule, that Jesus is that king of the kingdom of heaven. And so that's, that's what ends up happening is, is his kingdom is not like anything that they've ever seen before. It's not uh, a, based on land or buildings or an army necessarily, but it actually is, is a part of each person who is a follower of Christ. You are part of the kingdom of God. You are taking over the world in that sense. Because the kingdom of God is wherever his people are. And so Jesus is king. And we see that because he died and then it says he rose from the dead. And then it says he ascended into heaven where he sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And he is our king. And he will never die again. So he sits on his throne forever. And there we see that Jesus fulfills the promise given to David. As we see, he's a descendant of David, and he will never be off of his throne. No one will overthrow our God. And maybe, uh, or let's look at Abraham now. Jesus is the son that would make him a great nation. Uh, Abraham's name is great because it's connected to Jesus. 
that he gets to be a part of that blessing of having that in his lineage. So Abraham's great because it's linked to Jesus, and many family members uh, are with the whole idea of being a part of this uh, descendants that are so vast, so massive. Uh, that is a part of what Jesus ends up accomplishing. Because what we know is that if you accept Jesus into your heart, if you accept him as your Lord and Savior, it doesn't just say that you're saved and you're kind of set off to the side, you're a friend of Jesus. It says actually that you are adopted into his family line, into Abraham's family line. And it says that in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 through 5, it says this. It says, For he, God, chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption, to be sonship through uh, Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. You're not just welcomed in, hang out in the back. You are adopted as sons and daughters of Jesus when we come to know who Jesus is, when we accept that. You become a part of God's family. And in doing so, Abraham's line. And so for the last 2,000 years, uh, his, his family line has exploded, right? It's not just the Jewish community. It's everyone who has ever called themselves a Christian. It's a, anyone who has accepted Jesus into their, their life. That is the family of Abraham now. Too numerous to count. In fact, if you go to Revelations, it talks about a people group that is too vast in heaven that they can't even count them. It's just a mighty sea of people. And there we see the fulfillment of Abraham's blessing that Jesus made happen. What's amazing about this is how we are seeing that God is working in a couple ways. Kind of in this idea that he is working in the, the macro, kind of the large scale. And this is the place that really only God can work because it's through generations, right? I mean, he made a promise from Abraham, and we don't see the full fulfillment until Jesus. That's several, several generations of people. Uh, I forget the number, um, but you can look at your Bibles. <laughs> it's, it's uh, I think, around 36 or something like that. What is it? 42. 42, thank you. Wow, all right, good job. <laughs> 42, 42 generations from when that promise to when that fulfillment happens. That's, a, that's on a scale that only God can make happen, where he can make a declaration and see the fulfillment because he is not bound by time. He has no expiration date. In fact, the Bible says that he is the beginning and the end. That means he is time itself. He, he is over it all. And so he can make these things happen where he's going to work with his people group. He's going to work through generations of our family, and he's going to help us change and be different because he can do that. He's that big. He is that mighty. But the other way that we see him working is more in the micro sense, where he's getting close. He's getting close to his people. If you go through those 42 generations, you'll see that God is interacting with each of those, those people's lives. It's not like that he made just these two promises and that's all he's ever done. Through each of those names comes a story. Each one of them were, was talking with God, was growing with God, was getting connected to God. Even before Jesus had come, he was still making promises. He was still uh, doing things in each of their lives. And so God gets close to each person as well. He works in this mighty 
way across the world, but he also works personally in each one of our lives. And he does this still today. He still works with each one of our lives. He makes promises to each one of us that we can bank on, we can bank our whole lives on. And the first one that we should pay attention to is John 3, 16 to 18. That's a promise to you from God. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son to the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. If you don't know what promises have been given to you, start there. Because no other promise coming from God makes sense until you understand that initial promise to you. That God loves you so much that he was willing to sacrifice his son. The thing that Abraham, when we think of Abraham's story, I don't know if you do this. I do it in a whole different realm now that uh, I'm a father myself. Uh, before that, I was always thinking of you know, Isaac and how he, what kind of emotions he was going through. But now as a father, I look at Abraham and I'm like, I have no idea how you would do that. Uh, but that emotion that you feel about how Abraham must have felt at that moment, God does that himself. That was a foreshadow for each one of us to understand. That feeling, intensified by a thousand, is how God the Father felt by sending his son out to us. To die for us. To sacrifice himself for us. And he did so willingly. And so, God works in each one of our lives. And he gives us that promise that if you trust in Jesus, you trust your whole life to Jesus, he forgives this, your sins, and you are adopted into his family. This is the foundational promise. But what's amazing is he doesn't stop just there. It's not that we get that one promise. No, God continues. He enhances. He doubles downs in each one of our lives. And then he sends the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. And I kind of had this idea of what's smaller than micro, and I, I looked it up. It's nano, okay? I don't know. Um, but so he works in the nano of our life, all right? He works in this fine details by, by sending the Holy Spirit to us. And the Holy Spirit lives in us. It, it dwells in us as his people. And it works with you minute by minute, day by day. There's not a moment that you can escape the touch of him in your life. And so he's transforming our lives, and, and he makes promises to, to us as well that we can bank on. Things like God designed you for a purpose. That comes from Ephesians 2.10 that says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good work, which God prepared in advance for us to do. He made you for a purpose. That God will never let you go. Romans 8, verses 38 through 39 says, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angel nor demon, neither the present or the future, nor the, any power, neither high nor depth, or, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we have security, knowing that God will not let us go. Maybe it's the fact that we will be empowered. This is a promise for each one of us. We are empowered by God. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 17 says, For the Spirit of God, for the Spirit God gave us, does not make us timid, but gives us power, 
love, and self-discipline. That's the Holy Spirit. Maybe it's that God will be our hope, like our our children kind of shared with us today. Romans 15, verse 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Maybe it's that you need wisdom. God will be your wisdom. James chapter 1, verse 5 says, If any of you lack wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. This is just the tip of the iceberg. I could go on for a long, long time. In fact, Google it. Uh, promises from God, and there's lists, hundreds strong, and that's just, again, the tip of the iceberg. God promise, promises things to you. He makes these promises, and the way that they are fulfilled is not that we choose them, but the fact that we allow the Holy Spirit to empower us and transform us so that he can be the one doing it through our lives. And so here's my question for you guys. Is which of these promises, not just these, but of the promises given to us, are you holding on to today? Which are transforming your life? Someone says, what promise did God, what is, is just shaping your, your heart and your mind? Which one of those is shaping you? What promise of God is shaping you today? I think it's important as we get into Christmas time, not to, as Tony shared with us, Elder Tony shared with us, not to get wrapped up in the commercialism, the gift giving, and all the, the celebrations. Those things are fun, and those are good. I'm not going to bash them. In fact, I enjoy them quite a bit. But we always have to remember what's of first importance. That is that Jesus is the reason that we are celebrating. He's the reason for the season. And we should be thankful before, more than any gift that we get this year, we should be thankful for the fact that he willingly came down from heaven, from perfection, and lived a perfect life and gave up that perfect life for us. And that he makes promises to us today that we can now bank on because he is faithful to do what he promises to do. So which of those things can you give thanks for this season? So I, I want to challenge you to, to ha- hold that in your heart. Hold that in your mind this week as you, you go throughout. What promise of God are you thankful for right now? And maybe I, I even challenge you to go to find some scripture of where that promise comes from and maybe memorize it. Get it in your heart and your soul so that when it comes up, you can just be like, there it is, boom. Romans 15. And just be able to, to state where that is, what that promise is. And so here's my second proposal, is to then share that with somebody else. Share what that promise is. What, what is God doing in your life? And to share your testimony a little bit with someone around you. It could be your family member. could just be your kids. could be uh, a, fam- a friend. It could be uh, maybe it's a group that meets here on Wednesday nights. And you can, you can share with your men's group or your women's group. But, but share what God is doing in your life. Because i got to tell you that when you share that promise, it blesses you, but it also blesses everyone who gets to hear it. It's so amazing to hear what God's doing in someone's life. It blesses people in such a mighty way. And you might feel like, oh, it's no big deal. It is a big deal. Because it enhances the blessing so much more. I'm convinced that God is constantly doing so much more than we ever truly understand. Just even in sunrise itself, 
Like God will do something in a family and maybe a pocket of our group uh, here at Sunrise will know about it, but we don't always do a good. I think this is one of our weak spots here at Sunrise is sharing testimonies with one another. Being willing to, to not, not just here for Sunday mornings, not just for the stage, but just with one another as a family, as a group to be able to highlight and say, God is doing this in my life. And so that's one thing I would challenge us to, to look to and be willing to expose ourselves, to be willing to say, I was struggling with this, but God is doing some amazing things. And man, I, I have to say there's such a blessing in that. This last week, I got to uh, talk to a youth who has gone through our program and is now since gone. And uh, she was just kind of talking to me and she was say, you know, sharing that she had been going through some struggles of life. And, and it was, a, it was you know, a good conversation. I was so happy that she reached out and uh, we talked for a while. And really her struggle was that she's going through some hard times and she's wondering why she's going through hard times. And so we talked about that. But one of the things she said at the end, and man, I, it just, I've been thanking God about it ever since. She says, you know, through all of my hard time, I still always knew that God was with me. That was not something she knew when she first came to our youth group. She said, no matter what, I always know God is my father and he loves me. And just that truth, that promise, that blessing that she had, and she shared it with me. I mean, I, I just, I got emotional, to be honest with you, because <laughs> I love her, but I love what God is doing in her so much more. And so when we share what God is doing in our lives, it blesses others. Hebrews 10, verse 23 says, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. We can trust God to keep his promises. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much that you promise that you will hear us right now, God, that you say that our, our prayers are lifted up to you through the power of the Holy Spirit, that Jesus, that you made the way for us to just address you like this, that we don't have to go to a building, we don't have to go and talk to a priest, we don't have to have any other medium between us. It's just a direct line because of you, Jesus. So I thank you so much just for that promise, that you hear us today, right now. God, I pray that as we go through this week, that you would remind us of the promises that you've made to us. Help us as we look to scripture to, to put that into our heart even more, to grind that promise into our hearts so that we can remember and stand firm on your word. And God, I, prom I, I pray that you help us to remember your promises, but then also to share those promises with one another, to share the things that you're doing in each of our lives. And God, I thank you that you're at, you're at work in each person here. God, whether we, we declare you as Lord or we're still on the way, each of those, those places in our life are still you working. So God, we, we praise you and we thank you for all the good work that you're doing. Help us as we stand firm on your promises. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen.